Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to the Triangles Meditation Group. We're so happy to have all of you here with us to support each week uh, the strengthening of the planetary network of triangles so that it can help in irradiating human consciousness with light and goodwill. And one of the things we also um, like to do, our intention is to introduce this work to people who are new to it. So if you are new, welcome. And we hope that when you find out a little bit more about the Triangles Network that you will like to consider forming a triangle. And if you do, you can place your name in the chat box here today and hopefully two other people will agree to form a triangle with you. After our visualization and our meditation today, we are very happy to have our guest, uh, not really a guest, our coworker, Michael Galloway from the New York Lucis Trust Office, who will be sharing some thoughts about harmlessness, a quality that is much needed in our world at this time. So just to say a few words of introduction about the work of triangles, it's a simple visualization technique using the power of thought and prayer to uplift and transform consciousness. We know that energy follows thought and the work of triangles takes that sometimes abstract concept and makes it practical into a daily practice wherein three people agree to link up with each other and visualize a triangle of light between themselves. They can be anywhere in the planet. They don't have to synchronize in terms of time either. And they visualize their triangle and the energies circulating around the three points. And then they visualize those energies pouring out and linking with all other triangles members throughout the world visualizing the entire planet as a interlocking web of golden triangles. And as the network is visualized, the great invocation or world prayer is sounded as a powerful means of distributing the energies. And so it only takes a few minutes each day and can therefore be fit into even the busiest of schedules. So together, Triangles workers are playing our part in helping to clarify the mental, emotional, and etheric atmosphere of our planet, which is, again, so needed at this time. So as we do each week now, let's begin with a moment of silence and followed by a brief visualization and the sounding of a mantra. So let's link with each other as a group, projecting a line of lighted energy towards the inner plane workers, the spiritual hierarchy. And together with them, let's visualize the planet as a sphere of lighted energy. And now visualize within that sphere, a triangle, the triangle of the three primary planetary centers. Shambhala, the planetary head center, the spiritual hierarchy, the planetary heart, and the planetary throat center humanity. Visualize the circulation of these energies flowing in all directions around the triangle from point to point, merging and blending the three points, filling the triangle with light. 
now superimposed upon that triangle, visualize a five-pointed star. This is the star of the world teacher, linking east and west, past and present, radiating the energy of love wisdom. At each point of the star, the sphere of his activity stands an outpost of his consciousness, the five planetary centers. Visualize the energies radiating forth from the center of the star through the five points. London. Darjeeling. New York. Geneva. Tokyo. Visualize these outpouring energies enlivening small groups gathering everywhere, aiding them to focus and direct the energies into the consciousness of all humanity, solving its problems, creating right human relations, restoring peace on earth. Project the rainbow bridge to the spiritual hierarchy and sound the mantra. Radiance we are and power. We stand forever with our hands stretched out, linking the heavens and the earth, the inner world of meaning and the subtle world of glamour. We reach into the light and bring it down to meet the need. We reach into the silent place and bring from thence the gift of understanding. Thus with the light we work and turn the darkness into day. So last week we spoke a little bit about mantras and the power which they can wield and be used in our daily lives to not only bring our own consciousness into alignment with our soul, our group, but also when they're used synchronously by larger groups of people at set times they can be powerful 
tools of not only, not only individual transformation, but much more broadly planetary transformation. And in our work, we are used to um, working at the exact time of the full moon, perhaps the most important time in the, in the spiritual month, the new moon, if we can, at the exact time. But on a daily basis, there is um, this idea of working together each day at 12 o'clock with what's called the noontime recollection. But also, and what I'm going to focus just a little bit on today, the five o'clock link up, the mantra of the new group of world servers. And so, as we said last week, um, when using mantras, it's always helpful to take a moment of alignment to, before you begin, um, to establish a connection on the mental plane. Some people like to visualize a cross, focusing ourselves at the center of that cross, and then calling in the soul, which naturally links us with all other souls, and then utilizing a visualization. We can serve to provide a, uh, a form through which the energies of the higher planes, the spiritual hierarchy, can pour out and be distributed, helping to clarify the um, somewhat turbulent state, we might say, of our physical, etheric, astral, and mental planes of our planet. So it's a simple um, technique we use when working with mantras, but when large groups, as I said, do so, we can make a real concerted change in our planet. And so this one mantra, the Tibetan does suggest using it at 5 p.m. And I was taking the opportunity to just try and see if there were any other um, religious groups that used the five o'clock hour as, a, as specifically important in their alignment and use of prayer and meditation. Because as we know, all of the great world religions do have moments of prayer throughout the day, wherein they link together at the sounding of a bell or a siren or a gong. You know, they use different mantras or different prayers. But in my search, which was not exhaustive, I could not find any groups meeting at 5 p.m. I'm sure there are because it did say that Tibetan Buddhists meditate for five hours a day. So that is some alignment with the number five. But generally speaking, I couldn't find another one that used the five o'clock hour. And since the Tibetan was specific about this, I wondered what is there about five o'clock? And I don't claim to know the answer to that. But five o'clock is related if we take um, Clarence's hypothesis last week, um, this could be related to the fifth sign. Uh, it's the fifth uh, hour afternoon. If we look at the divide the day up into 12, two, two 12 um, segments. So we would be in the fifth hour. And that is related to Leo, the sign of Leo. And using again Clarence's um, hypothesis, it would be related to the fifth line of the great invocation if we wanted to work with it that way. So let love stream forth into human hearts. So it's about an outpouring of love. It is sometimes coinciding between morning, uh, between day and night at certain times of the year. But if it's related to Leo, it could be related to the number five and the fifth ray. And we know that the fifth ray is related to, as is Leo, very much to a mental polarization, the fifth ray, the ray of concrete science, the polar opposite to the incoming Aquarian energies. And so there is this idea that we always have to work with the polarities. And so I think there could be something to this idea of 
the Leo polarity being highlighted every day at five o'clock because we know that our earth is permeated with the energies of Leo etherically. Um, the earth always stands in the opposite energy to the sign in which the sun is working. So as the Aquarian energies come in, um, spiritually speaking, they're balanced and coordinated with the energies of Leo that govern the etheric body of our planet. And so just wanted to say that five o'clock in the eyes of the Tibetan was the hour that he chose to highlight the new group of world servers and to use this powerful mantra every day using that alignment that I briefly mentioned. Um, he gives us a symbol, he says, for the new group of world servers, a symbol that he says should never be um, concretized or materialized, drawn, but sometimes we could perhaps work with it in our visualizations, perhaps when we're sounding the mantra. He says it's a, a golden triangle with a diamond at the apex, uh, enclosing an evened arm cross. So it's a very simple, but obviously a very potent symbol that is, unites all the members of the group. He says all the members of the group have this symbol in their aura and it flashes forth as a sign of recognition on some deep level when you meet someone who is part of this group. So just wanted to highlight this and say that just as the great invocation, this mantra brings together the three planetary centers of Shambhala, hierarchy, and in this case, the new group of world servers standing for humanity as a whole. And just to briefly touch on, because Michael is going to touch on it much more thoroughly, um, the third part of this three part, so it's a three part mantra linking the three centers, but the third part of, for the new group of world servers, the Tibetan gives us these three powerful tools that he says, enable each member of the group and the group as a whole to fulfill its part in the one work. So self-forgetfulness. So forgetting the, the small self, the personality self. And we can do that most powerfully by recollecting the soul, not so much by stamping out the personality, but recollecting the soul. And so that's more like the first aspect. And then the second aspect uh, related to the emotional body, the first aspect being related more to the mental body. The second aspect, harmlessness, is related to the right direction, we're told, of astral energy, being a positive force for in our environment for the energies, the higher energies of love. And then the third aspect is the working out of this soul contact and this touch from the highest center in right speech. And the Tibetan gives us an interesting um, way in which to cultivate this right speech. When he's talking to one of the disciples in his group of disciples. And he said to this individual that his weak point was his inability to bring through the vision with accuracy. And I'm sure that's a, a, an issue for most of us. And how do we really, the Tibetan says it's quite a challenge to bring through the vision, you know, with accuracy. And so he said, in order to do this, you must learn to practice accuracy of thought and speech in the daily life. And this practice will reveal to you how many inaccuracies your speech actually contains. So he said, bring through ideas and methods of work and materialize them on the physical plane through the cultivation of accuracy in your speech. So that gives us a lot to work on 
each day. So let's work now in our meditation. Linking with one another as a group, establishing our fusion. Bridging, projecting a bridge towards the highest center, Shambhala. The sound, the affirmation of will. In the center of the will of God, I stand. Not shall deflect my will from his. I implement that will by love. I turn towards the field of service. I, the triangle divine, work out that will within the square and serve my fellow men. Using the creative imagination, link with two other points of light to create a triangle of light. Visualize the triangle in which you are working as an essential part of the Radiant Worldwide Triangles Network. Hold the consciousness immersed within the light of the group soul, the heart of love which underlies and infuses the network. and lift the consciousness to the world teacher who stands as the heart of love at the center of the spiritual hierarchy and at the heart of each triangle.
Visualize the energies of love, light, and goodwill circulating in and around the triangle's network. Visualize these energies unifying and eliminating all divisions within humanity, healing and transforming human consciousness and establishing right human relationships. Project the rainbow bridge to the spiritual hierarchy and sound the mantra of unification. The souls of all are one and I am one with them. I seek to love, not hate. I seek to serve and not exact due service. I seek to heal, not hurt. Let pain bring due reward of light and love. Let the soul control the outer form and life and all events and bring to light the love that underlies the happenings of the time. Let vision come and insight. Let the future stand revealed. Let inner union demonstrate and outer cleavages be gone. Let love prevail. Let all people love. Visualize the whole planet alight with triangles. See new triangles being formed everywhere. Prior to sounding the great invocation, let's pause to consider the work to be done by the words as they're poured out. And as we repeat each stanza, let's visualize the network acting as a link between the world of spiritual realities and humanity, 
as a channel through which light and love and divine purpose may flow into human consciousness. From the point of light within the mind of God, let light stream forth into human minds. Let light descend on earth. From the point of love within the heart of God, let love stream forth into human hearts. May the coming one return to earth. From the center where the will of God is known, let purpose guide all little human wills. The purpose which the masters know and serve. From the center, which we call the human race, let the plan of love and light work out and may it seal the door where evil dwells. Let light and love and power restore the plan on earth. Thank you, everyone. And now we welcome Michael Galloway. Hello, Michael. Hi, Kathy. Can you hear me? Yes. All right, great. And do you see the screen? Yes. Excellent. All right. Thank you, Kathy, for the invitation to speak here today and also for that um, wonderful meditation, as always. Um, as Kathy said, I'm going to speak today about harmlessness. And I'd just like to begin by sharing um, a quote by um, the Tibetan, which is on your screens. It reads, harmlessness brings about in the life caution and judgment, reticence and speech, ability to refrain from impulsive action, and the demonstration of a non-critical spirit. So free passage can be given to the forces of true love and to those spiritual energies which seem to vitalize the personality, leading consequently to right action. Harmlessness is a very important virtue and it's one that is very much needed in the world today. Um, it's not a new virtue or a new quality. It's common to many religions, um, particularly I think the Buddhist religion is well known for this quality, but it goes back um, much longer than that to the ancient um, Vedic and Hindu religions. And it's also um, present in Christianity and the Abrahamic traditions as well. Despite its popularity, it is um, often a misunderstood quality or virtue. It is much more than just a negative state of refraining from harming others. 
even though the name seems to suggest that. Harmlessness also requires the formulation of a positive intention to do good, not just the succession of action. It requires also the will to act and to carry out that intention, that good intention, intention for the good, no matter what. Harmlessness therefore requires discernment to know how to act, dispassion to act free from glamor, and the cultivation of an intelligent self-effacement to stand free from the selfish tendencies inherent in one's lower nature. True harmlessness, however, um, is more than just right action, for it is really the attaining to a state of consciousness from which that right action necessarily follows. Right action springs forth naturally when the motive lying behind all of one's activity is goodwill. And though in some instances, this right action may be disagreeable, and it may even evoke an outer sense of conflict. If the intent is pure, it will inevitably bring all things towards a beneficent end. We know that all inner forces once set in motion by an act of the will must inevitably work out into physical manifestation. And this is expressed in the commonly um, heard occult truism that energy follows thought. Patanjali in his um, Yogi Sutras, he gives five commandments which should now be appearing on your screen. These commandments, if practiced, are said to make one perfect in their relationships with others and with the subhuman and superhuman kingdoms as well. The first of these commandments is harmlessness. Um, but really harmlessness, he says, summarizes all of them. For harmlessness is the key to establishing right relationship. A deeper study of these commandments shows that they span all three aspects of the personality, which is the triple vehicle of the soul. The first, which is called harmlessness, concerns the right use of physical force in all one's physical plane activities. This requires that one's physical actions are controlled and no action is carried out which could harm another. Truth to all beings, the second commandment, concerns the right use of speech, which is the medium through which inner truths become externalized. The third, abstention from theft, refers not just to physical theft, but to, but to never appropriating as one's own that which one has no right to claim. And this includes the possession of ideas as well as objects, and essentially it leads to a freedom from covetousness and to a freedom from the sort of tendency to Toward, towards possession, towards materialistic and idealistic possession, which is inherently selfish. Abstention from incontinence refers to indulgence in any practice which feeds and placates one's desire nature. Following this commandment requires the right practice of dispassion, and this eventually leads to freedom from those desires which keep the aspirant bound to form life. Abstention from avarice, the final um, commandment, is in one sense simply an injunction to be content in whatever state one finds oneself. This brings about a state of mental quietude whereby the soul can then impress the lower mind. The pure intent of the soul then conditions the little will of the personality. In alignment with these five commandments, the Tibetan states that harmlessness is the destroyer of all limitation, which is a very powerful statement. All harmfulness, he says, 
is based on selfishness and is a demonstration of the forces of separation. Likewise, harmlessness is a demonstration of the qualities of the soul whose nature is love and who recognizes that all forms, though they are imperfect, exist for the same purpose. That purpose being to veil and hide the light of one infinite being, which some call God. We can consider then that harmlessness in its highest expression is pure intention. It is a state of consciousness closely allied with that first aspect of divinity, which we call the will of God. This will is active, of course, rather than passive. The will is both divine potential, the complete prototype, the ever complete prototype, you could say. And it is also at the same time that creative law that actualizes potentiality and makes it manifest. Through the practice of harmlessness, we can ally ourselves with this process, this great creative process undergoing, which is undergoing, which is being undergone on our planet at this time. We become intermediaries in this great planetary act. The Angel's Wisdom states that it is humanity's destiny to one day, as a group, become a planetary intermediary between the kingdom of souls and the manifested world of human living. Only then can the original intent which lay behind the creation of our planet be fulfilled. And this expressed intent of our planetary life, at least as far as we can understand it, is for the purpose, it was created for the purpose of the redemption of matter and the raising of all lesser lives onwards towards the greater light of divinity. Humanity has a key part to play in this process and the new group of world servers, which um, has been spoken about in this webinar many times and which Kathy also alluded to, is the great um, intermediary between these two worlds. And it is a sense a pioneering group um, that humanity will one day itself um, step into as a whole. As individuals, we take part in this um, process of intermediation and the externalization of the divine plan, um, of course, through the practice of harmless, harmlessness, um, but more specifically in our own lives, we do it through the process of elimination. This is one of the ways we do it. And in this process of elimination, all of that which impedes the full expression of life itself is gradually removed from our lower natures. And this we also refer to as a process of, of purification. And in the ageless wisdom, this is referred to as the probationary path, the path of purification. As this path is trod, we begin to eventually, as the body becomes purified, we begin to attract to ourselves only that which is beneficent. Eventually we move beyond this stage, um, to a, to a stage wherein little self is forgotten. One's own purification becomes um, gradually sought, but it becomes automatic and sort of goes forth in the background. All of one's attention is focused towards group service and one increasingly gives. And in giving, they, they gain this greater capacity to love and to serve with discernment, with greater degrees of discernment and wisdom. Eventually at a later stages upon the path, we are told that one can even consciously take evil from one's environment into one's own nature, transmute it and break it down into its component parts and return it from whence it came. This requires, of course, an advanced stage of attainment upon the path and it requires a complete freedom from all separateness, which is inherent in form life. Holding the ideal of harmlessness firmly within our minds as the expressed intent of our, light, our life direction um, will eventually lead us to this state of freedom whereby we can serve um, in greater and greater degrees. The practice of harmlessness is also a way of cooperating with a great 
spiritual law called the law of service. As we approach the advent of the Aquarian age, this law is growing in influence. Today it is affecting all humanity, but particularly those who have chosen to tread a spiritual path, either consciously or unconsciously in a, in a previous life. In aspirants and disciples, its influence is awakening the heart center and bringing it into a more vibrant activity. Whereas in those members of humanity who are still polarized in their emotional natures, it is aiding them to focus intelligently in the mind. The awakening of the mind always precedes the true awakening of the heart for the mind in its for the mind is the lowest correspondence of the will, and right action always follows from right intention. The Tibetan clearly had this law of service in mind when he wrote that one of the preeminent characteristics of the true server is harmlessness. He writes that this harmlessness must extend not just to other individuals, but also to one's group. Group harmlessness follows when one begins to think in terms of group relationship and not just individual relationships. This requires the recognition, first of all, that groups embody energies and purposes which could never work out through any one individual. Right group relationship therefore requires a right sense of proportion um, and often it also requires the subordination of one's personal interests, even when those interests are of a spiritual nature, to the good of the group, if and when that group's purpose um, is higher, is seen as higher than what's one's own. All group work, as many of us surely have experienced, is difficult. There are many diverse ways of thinking about and seeing the world, and who is to say which is more correct than any other. Maintaining group integrity requires a great deal of detachment. Otherwise, a singular group organism capable of carrying out some specific work can never emerge. One of the greatest barriers to right group relationship is the right direction of astral energy. Astral energy necessarily clothes all created thought forms. It is also an energy which conditions the sentient response of human relationships. The Tibetan gives three rules for the right direction of astral energy that are appearing on your screen right now. I'm not going to read them in their full because they're a bit long, but I will just briefly speak um, the first few lines of each of them. Rule one states, enter thy brother's heart and see his woe, then speak. Let the words spoken convey to him the potent force he needs to loose his chains, yet loose them not thyself. Rule two states, enter thy brother's mind and read his thoughts, but only when thy thoughts are pure. Then think. Let the thoughts thus created enter thy brother's mind and blend with his. Rule three states, blend with thy brother's soul and know him as he is. Only upon the plane of soul can this be done. Elsewhere, the blending feeds the fuel of his lower life. These uh, three rules are incredibly instructive and provide practically a lifetime or even many lifetimes um, of meditation upon them. Really, I think they are guiding principles which um, anybody could, um, no matter what their place upon the path, could strive to live by. And we may want to discuss the more in our group discussion, which is forthcoming, but I'd like to close just by saying um, that the triangles work 
which brings us really here today and which is the purpose of this webinar, has a definite role to play in establishing a culture of harmlessness within humanity and on our planet. Our work encourages the raising of consciousness to the mind, and it is the mind whereon the soul can be contacted and known. This leads naturally to the purification of a mentally formulated intention, excuse me, intention to bring about goodwill and right human relations. We can imagine that our triangle's work is itself an expression of the pure intent of the soul on its own plane, perhaps even the kingdom of souls themselves as it seeks to externalize. We know that the soul seeks ever to bring about right thought, right action and right relationship and to mediate the spiritual potentiality which ever exists um, into right relationship in the manifested world, which is um, of course a continual process and uh, definitely an imperfect one as well. So, um, that's all I have to say. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much, Michael, for sharing those points with us. We can all conjure harmlessness, that's for sure. So since we don't have much time, I think that it's just best to jump right in to the sharing. If anyone would like to raise their hands and share audibly, we can unmute your microphone if you just click on your name in the participants box and we'll unmute you. Um, and if you see any comments that you'd like to read from the comments from the chat, Michael, please feel free. Okay, thanks. I'm just scrolling up right now. Um, Sri Yantra Veronica said that I think somewhere Jesus said only the harmless can be helpful. Many implications here. Yeah, I think that theme of harmlessness repeats throughout many religions. And there's also uh, something from the ageless wisdom that I can't quite remember the quote, Kathy, perhaps you can fill it in, but it, it says something like one cannot contact the masters until one has lost one's voice has lost the power to wound or something like that. Do you, do you know that quote? Yeah, yeah. I, I'm not sure if that's... Okay. That's not exactly yes, it. Where I just ruined it, sorry. Yeah. Um, but yeah, basically this state of pure, only it's like the higher states of spiritual achievement can only really be achieved when one has literally lost the power to wound another, when it's sort of becomes simply through one spiritual being that one has attained, it literally becomes impossible to harm. Sort of an ideal we can hold in our minds. Um, Avon Madison says from indigenous women, harmlessness is a way of life. Harm to one is harm to all. This all includes humanity and the nature realms and future genera generations in the one life. Um, that reminds me of a quote in the Bible, which I'm probably also gonna um, butcher a little bit, but basically saying that there will be a time when the lion will lay, lay with the lamb, something yeah. like that. And yeah. it's sort of humanity's uh, task as representative of the first aspect divinity in the manifested worlds to, to essentially train or to teach the um, lower kingdoms in nature, specifically the animal kingdom, to be harmless and eventually they'll sort of follow our example once we once we demonstrate it yes um, matthew martin says harmlessness is one of the yamas or the five commandments from the yogi sutras um, also it's in chapter 2.35 let go of all hostilities and firmly establish the practice of harmlessness and also that it's in the Bhagavad Gita, um, and he also provides a quote from Gandhi, Ahimsa is the highest ideal. It is meant for the brave and never the cowardly. Yes. Um, 
Yeah, Christina Kosmandaki says, considering the insightful connection of the Nugafer World Servers, five o'clock mantram, and the fifth zodiacal sign, one is reminded of the relationship between Leo and Scorpio, the fifth and eighth sign, changing mutually positions upon the reversed wheel, um, which means Scorpio is the fifth sign on the reversed wheel, Leo is the fifth sign on the, uh, or excuse me, I said it backwards, Leo is the fifth sign on the regular, Scorpio is the fifth sign on the regular wheel, Leo is the fifth sign on the reversed wheel, is that correct, Kathy? Yes. Okay. I think she's just saying they're both the fifth if you look from different positions. Yeah. Yeah. Going from one direction or from the other. Yeah. yeah. Um, they have a common Syrian influence, I guess. Yes. Yes. Okay. Five o'clock can also be 1700 or the number eight. By including yeah. the sign of Scorpio, we touch upon the Scorpio Taurus axis, the ladder, ladder governing the new group of world servers. So it might be seen as a triangular relation and interconnection of energies. And finally, we can consider Taurus. The second sign is the 11th on the reverse wheel, bringing us to Aquarius, the sign of the world server and a cross emerges, which I think is the fixed cross. Is that correct, Kathy? Yes. Excellent. Yes, good to um, ponder deeply those significances. I also realized that, um, Kathy, you were reflecting on the number five and that the the commandments given by um, Patanjali are also five, as I was reading, mm. which is really, yeah. this is really, you know, certainly meaning numbers themselves are, have such a deep significance and go way beyond, um, I think, what we can even conceive of. They have cosmic implications and even the rays themselves are sort of numbers, you know, these yeah. great archetypes. So we can... Um, always ponder. I thought it was interesting, uh, Michelle Pineda's comment that it could symbolize, uh, this focus on five could symbolize humanity's role as um, bridging towards the fifth kingdom, you know? So yeah. working at that hour at five perhaps is um, an opportunity to make that bridge. Mm -hmm. I'm sure we'll find out more about it, why that time was specifically chosen. Yeah. I mean, five is also the mind itself. Yep. Mm -hmm. Which is the um, principle of mind is sort of, in one sense, the principle of cleavage. It's the field which must be bridged. And it's also, in a sense, the bridging agent, the intermediary at the same time, the soul. Yeah, I, I, I just saw that Isabel has her hand up. So maybe Isabel will unmute you and then you'll just, we'll just have a, a short comment and then we're gonna close. Um, I'm asking you to unmute. Isabella, are you there still? Hello? Yes, I'm there. Oh, okay. Hi. Yes, yes. I'm, I just noticed you unmuted me. Thank you. I loved your talk and uh, uh, Michael Galloway's too. Thank you very, very much. Uh, I just wanted to add, um, to respond to your question, Kathy, you asked whether you, some groups were saying the five o'clock uh, benediction. Well, when I used to stay at Jolie's place in Florence one month every year, um, he invited us um, to say this uh, blessing at five o'clock. Uh, and he, he would say, um, imagine that you are with the masters Kutumi and Moria. They are saying it at that time. And uh, then we would say it. And sometimes when I was, there was not the group with us, he would say at the, uh, the last sentence, you know, where may we do our part mm -hmm. in the one work um, with right speech, he would add and right silence mm. for me. <laughs> that was, that's why I tend to, go to, to try to be silent very often. Mm. But uh, today I overcame my timidity. Well, thank you. It is a most powerful mantra, I must say. Yes. Yeah. It's been used by many for many years now. So um, the new group of world servers is growing from strength to strength. And I think surely the use of this mantra by groups of people throughout all these decades has, has aided the group at its soul level to become stronger. So, we also had the noon recollection, by yes, the way. Yes. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Isabel. And thank you, everybody. And we're just going to take 
a moment of silence to collect, connect with all Triangles workers throughout the world and visualize the network as one of light. Thank you, everyone, and thank you, Michael.